0: Hope Awakens. So glad you've joined us again. Perhaps it's your first time tonight. Welcome and thanks for joining us. Don't forget, if you missed Wednesday's program titled The Final Invitation, just go to our website, hopeawakens.com.au. Click on Catch Up and look for program number 18. There you can also find all of our previous episodes and they've all been so eye-opening and tremendous. John Bradshaw's program tonight is titled The Ultimate Destination. But before we go there, let's go to Gary for some questions. Good evening, Gary.
1: Evening, Rebecca and viewers. Great to be with you again tonight. That last program of John Bradshaw's was just fantastic. You know, I've truly enjoyed Hope Awakens with John. I remember reading of a U.S. Navy ship that seeing a light ahead at night on the sea signaled those travelers to veer to the left out of the way <laughs> no said those ahead with that light you, you must veer to the left well the captain of the carrier signaled no you must change course or be run down we're an aircraft carrier and I'm the captain move well the response came back from the light ahead of them this is a lighthouse and I'm the keeper veer to the left now or suffer the consequences well guess who moved You know, to follow the instructions of our great God in this book is truly the only safe course in life. And that's what John's been trying to help us to do in this Hope Awakens series. Well, let's go to those questions that we have tonight. First question that we have is this one. Is the idea of the Trinity supported by Jesus? Well, that's a very important question indeed. You know, the Bible is plain in actual fact that there's only one God. Notice what the Bible says in Deuteronomy 6 verse 4. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. Now, Jesus agreed with this when we go to Matthew chapter 28 verse 19. He said, go therefore and make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. You notice know, it says name singular, not plural. But that one God consists of Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Which you see, white creation, God said, then God said, Let us make man in our image, according to our likeness. Now, of course, angels don't create, they're created beings. Only God creates. But he said, Let us, plural make man in our plural again our image so this is what we see clearly the bible certainly supports the idea of a trinity a triune god question number 2 is jesus god and has he always existed well that's another good question indeed firstly when we go to john chapter 1 verse 1 and 2 it says in the beginning was the word and the word was with god and the word was god he was in the beginning with god All things were made through him, that's the word, and without him nothing was made that was made. And the word became flesh and dwelt among us. Now clearly the word was God and the word was said to be Jesus, the one who dwelt among us. He made everything, it says. Now notice what it says in Exodus chapter 20 verse 11. For in six days the Lord made the heavens and the earth, the sea and all that is in them. And he rested the seventh day. Therefore, the Lord, capital L-O-R-D, blessed the Sabbath day and hallowed it. Now, the word when it's in capitals, L-O-R-D, is Jehovah, God Almighty, the I, I am. And that Lord, Jehovah, made the heavens and the earth in six days. Yet John says Jesus made everything, everything. So clearly, Jesus must also be Jehovah with his father and the Holy Spirit. You see, when Jesus said to baptize in the name, singular, of the Father, Son and Holy Spirit, he was referring to the sacred name of God. You know, when Moses was at the bush that wouldn't burn, you may remember the story. Notice the conversation between God and Moses found in Exodus 3, verse 13 to 15. Then Moses said to God, Indeed, when I come to the children of Israel and say to them, The God of your fathers has sent me to you. And they say to me, What is his name? What shall I say to them? And God said to Moses, I am who I am. And he said, Thus you shall say to the children of Israel, I am has sent me to you. Moreover, God said to Moses, Thus you shall say to the children of Israel, The Lord God of your fathers, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob has sent me to you. This is my name forever. And this is my memorial to all generations. Now the Lord, capital L R R D, or Jehovah is I, I am the eternal self-existent one. And Jesus also claimed that. He said, I, I am the good shepherd in the Greek language. I, I am the way, the truth and the life. I, I am the bread of life. And on his arrest, He said to his captors, who are you looking for? They said, Jesus of Nazareth. And he said in the Greek language, I, I am. And they fell to the ground because this was God whose presence they were in. Now, question number three. How can I avoid receiving the mark of the beast? Well, that's an excellent question indeed. The third angel's message about receiving the mark of the beast has the exact answer for us. The Bible says, Then a third angel followed them, saying with a loud voice, If anyone worships the beast and his image and receives his mark on his forehead or on his hand, he himself shall also drink of the wine of the wrath of God. Here is, that means this calls for, here is the patience of the saints. Here are those who keep the commandments of God and the faith of Jesus. You see, in the end time events of this planet, All people are called to keep the commandments of God, which includes his seventh-day Sabbath. How do you do that in the midst of death threats and economic boycotts? Answer, through faith in Jesus. That is, by leaning on Jesus, trusting in him, throwing yourself on him, accepting his death, his resurrection, and his intercession. You see, when we trust Jesus, we have forgiveness. We have eternal life. Plus, God writes his laws in our hearts and in our minds. And so we therefore follow him because we love him who first loved us so much. Now, I hope those answers help you this evening. But before we go back to Rebecca, I want to remind you of a great masterclass that starts in just over a week's time, both in Australia and in New Zealand. It's an amazing interactive Zoom masterclass called Secrets of the Future. As a participant, you're going to receive full-colour study guides like these ones here, beautifully illustrated, something you'll be glad to have. And because it's interactive, you'll be able to ask your instructor questions, and join in on a group discussion. It's a fantastic opportunity to study and understand the great prophecies of the Bible. You know, I remember running a class just like this one in Perth. I was visiting a couple who were participating in the class and I've never forgotten what they said to me. They said, you know what, Gary, our marriage is happier since we joined this class. That's, of course, because they were reading and studying God's word with others. And that always happens. It helps us in our life today. So stay till the end when Rebecca will tell you how to sign up for these amazing masterclasses. Well, back to you now, Rebecca.
0: Thanks, Gary. This masterclass sounds so exciting. Just a reminder to all our viewers that tomorrow morning will be our very last program in the series. That means that it's also the last chance to get your question answered live. So please send them to us. We love to hear from you. If we don't answer your questions on the program, someone will contact you with more information. Well, let's join John Bradshaw for The Ultimate Destination.
2: Come on, let's pray now. Let's pray. Our Father in heaven, thank you that we can come to you now. We do so in the name of Jesus. Guide us in your word by your spirit. Tonight, speak to us. We ask you, we pray, we thank you. In Jesus' name, amen. A 17th century Spanish philosopher once said God denied to men the faculty of flight so that they might lead a quiet and tranquil life. For if they knew how to fly, they would always be in perpetual danger. A man named Juan Caramuel Lobkowitz said that. He said that in God's eyes, it's just better for us not to fly. Now, I don't know if the man knew about what had happened in the previous century, It is thought by some that Leonardo da Vinci built an ornithopter, a machine with flapping wings, kind of resembled the anatomy of a bird. That man who painted the Mona Lisa, by the way, the Mona Lisa was painted on wood, not canvas. It's painted on a poplar plank, and it's only about this big. Anyway, that man, same man who painted The Last Supper, again, not a canvas, but a fresco, that man was quite a student of flight. Of course, he never flew. Now, it is said that a fellow named John Williams, who later became the Archbishop of York, attempted to fly by leaping off the wall of Conway Castle in northern Wales, which is about 20 miles on a straight line from Liverpool. This was in the late 1500s. He was just a kid. Apparently, was wearing a long, billowing coat, but his daring leap did not meet with the success that he had hoped for, assuming that the story is factual. If it's not, then at least we've got good reason to warn our children to keep their feet on the ground. But later, it was the Wright brothers, Wilbur and Orville, who did what had up to that point been impossible. The brothers had owned a bicycle sales and repair shop in Dayton, Ohio. They even manufactured their own brand of bike. It was December 17, 1903, when they became the first people to successfully fly a heavier-than-air airplane at Kitty Hawk, or Kill Devil Hills on North Carolina's Outer Banks. Now, some contend it was a man named Richard Pierce who flew first, a little before the Wright brothers. But seeing as he's from New Zealand, my home country, you might accuse me of a little bias. But that's what they say. I believe them. But once people got flying, there was no stopping them. Only 24 years after the Wright brothers, Charles Lindbergh became the first person to fly non-stop across the Atlantic Ocean. Took him 33 and a half hours to fly from New York to Paris. Amelia Earhart became the first woman to pilot across the Atlantic just five years later. Jets flew first in 1939. Chuck Yeager flew faster than the speed of sound in 1947. Yuri Gagarin orbited the Earth in 1961. John Glenn, later Senator John Glenn, circled the Earth three times in 1962. Neil Armstrong became the first human to set foot on the moon in 1969. It was July the 20th. He took one small step for a man. One giant leap for mankind. But now, the space shuttle went up and came back numerous times. That's now old history. In fact, John Glenn went back into space in a space shuttle mission in 1998. Now rockets go up and they come back down. And now there's talk that astronauts will travel to Mars. Just how far is it going to go? I can tell you it's going to go a lot further than Mars. John 14, we start in verse 1. Jesus said, let not your heart be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in me. In my Father's house are many mansions. If it were not so, I would have told you. Then Jesus said, I go to prepare a place for you. And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you to myself. That where I am, there you may be also. So look at that. One day people are going to go to heaven. No, I've never seen it. I've never been there. I haven't seen photos of heaven. Even the Hubble telescope hasn't taken pictures of heaven. But millions and millions of people believe there's a heaven, even though not one of us has been. We've never watched the heaven webcam online. All we have for the existence of heaven, as far as evidence goes, is what's written right here, ink on paper, in a book that we call The Bible. So is there really evidence that there's actually a heaven? Well, let's go to the Bible and find out what it says. John 6, 51, Jesus said, I am the living bread, which came down from, you tell me, heaven. Jesus was convinced that heaven was a real place. And if Jesus was convinced, we can be convinced. No question. John the Baptist said, the kingdom of heaven is at hand. So he believed it too. Jesus used the word heaven about 18 times in the Sermon on the Mount. He referred to Matthew 10 and verse 32 or he said in Matthew 10:32, "My Father who is in heaven." Mark 1, we read that a voice came from heaven. It said, "You are my beloved son in whom I am well pleased." Angels reported there's a heaven. In Acts chapter 1, they say, "Men of Galilee, Why do you stand gazing up into heaven? This same Jesus, who was taken up from you into heaven, will so come in like manner as you have seen him go into heaven. 20 of the New Testament's 27 books mention heaven. And the book of Revelation, right here in the back of the Bible, uses the word heaven 55 times, or 56, depending on how you count. If there's actually no heaven... Oh, man. Imagine the implications. That would mean this earth is all you have. So you better get what you can. Imagine that. Imagine now if there is a heaven. Oh, now we're talking. That would mean there's something after this life, after this world. Let's go back to what Jesus said, something we saw before. He said, in my father's house, there are many mansions. I will come again and receive you to myself. He believed that there was a heaven and he began that speech with the words, let not your heart be troubled. He knew that his disciples were living a difficult existence. They'd attached themselves to a man who was an outcast. They'd left their jobs to follow the man and they met with constant opposition. Jesus said to them, let not your heart be troubled. At the same time, Jesus knew life was going to get a whole lot more difficult for them than it was right then. He said, let not your heart be troubled. Friend, God is saying to you tonight, when you're facing difficult times, let not your heart be troubled. Even if you're badly affected by the pandemic, let not your heart be troubled. If you're facing job loss or economic trouble, his message is still the same. Let not your heart be troubled. Now, Jesus isn't saying your situation is nothing. He's not saying you shouldn't be bothered. He's not saying it's not a struggle. He's saying, let not your heart be troubled. You see, this is the assurance Jesus gives us. These are his words. He said, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. He said in Matthew chapter 11, come to me, all you who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls, for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. And look at these words in Jeremiah chapter 29, verse 11. For I know the thoughts that I think toward you, says the Lord, thoughts of peace and not of evil, to give you a future and a hope. And to whom did God speak those words? He spoke them to Israel when Israel was about to enter into Babylonian captivity. You're going away into oppression for seven decades and God says to you, I have these great thoughts towards you. Thoughts of peace. Thoughts about you having a great future. That's because that was what was on God's mind. Their hearts didn't need to be heavy. They could trust God. Those are God's thoughts to you right now, no matter what you're going through. Because God says, we're not done yet. Let not your heart be troubled. There is plenty ahead. The best is yet to come. Heaven is ahead. One day we're going to get out of this world. We're going to go to the only place that we can really call home. Well, wait, does this Does this really work? Is it for real? Or was Karl Marx right when he said that religion was the opium of the people? Marx was saying that faith in God provides only illusory happiness. He said that faith in God was harmful. Well, I'd love to be able to tell Karl Marx about this, but I can't because he's sleeping in a grave in Highgate Cemetery in North London. I'd love to be able to tell him that faith in God would provide eternal happiness, fulfillment in life. But Marx is dead. Meanwhile, God is alive and well. I got an email from a friend of mine battling cancer. He was in a real fight for his life. He said, that's what he said to me. There are a few things in this world that you can count on. One of them is faith in God. The other is that Jesus died to save sinners. His life was slipping through his fingers. And he was able to say, it's all right, because I've got eternity to look forward to. It's all right, because the best is yet to come. It's all right, because heaven awaits. One day we will enter into the land of the redeemed, and we won't be thinking back on our hardships. We'll just say, hallelujah, God was right. Jesus is our savior. We're in the right place now and forever. Come on, now, what do you say? You ought to be able to say amen. The fact is, the fact is we need help. Human beings are broken. You know, you read about people, even Christians, who fall. It's sad. It's a shame. But we mustn't make the mistake of pointing the finger and being terribly critical because there but for the grace of God go we. We. And God says he can save the weak. Through Jesus, there is hope for you. Did you know that? Jesus didn't even come into the world to save the strong. He didn't come to save the good. He came to save sinners, the broken, the faulty, the failing, the weak. The apostle Paul prayed once that God, actually it wasn't once. He prayed that God would re- relieve a serious burden. He prayed, he said, three times. And then God spoke to him, 2 Corinthians 12, 9. And he said, my grace is sufficient for you, for my strength is made perfect. Don't miss this. My strength is made perfect in weakness. Do you like that? Jesus came to save the weak. If you want to go to heaven, all you have to do is be weak. Too many people are trying to be good enough, strong enough. They're trying to be deserving enough without realizing they're just trying to get water to run uphill. Trying to fly like that young boy who evidently leaped off the castle wall. Here's what God offers us. Let's look at the experience of Paul. He said this in Philippians chapter 3. For we have no confidence in the flesh. There were people in Paul's day, a lot of them, who wanted to include works of the flesh into the work of salvation. Specifically at that time, old Jewish rites such as circumcision. Paul says, no, nothing like that needs to come into the plan of salvation. We don't trust in the flesh and not just circumcision, but anything I can do that I think would contribute to my own salvation. Anything I can do to make myself good enough for salvation. Anything I can do to earn salvation in any way. Have confidence in the flesh like that. But then Paul says, though I might also have confidence in the flesh. If anyone else thinks he may have confidence in the flesh, I more so. So why would Paul say that if anyone has anything to brag about, To recommend to God that he has more so. He explains, circumcised the eighth day of the stock of, and that's the right day, stock of Israel, right people, tribe of Benjamin, King Saul's tribe, a Hebrew of the Hebrews, concerning the law, a Pharisee, rigid, concerning zeal, persecuting the church, concerning the righteousness which is in the law, blameless. Not many people get to say that they are blameless concerning the requirements of the law. The laws that Paul had to follow back then, they were rigid, they were many, they were demanding. But he's able to say, I am blameless when it comes to the law. But instead of doubling down and puffing out his chest and saying that disobedience to the law sets him up to be holy in the sight of God. Paul says really the exact opposite. He says, verse seven. But what things were gained to me, these I have counted loss for Christ. Loss? Why would they be lost? These are good things. He explains verse eight of Philippians chapter three. Yet indeed I also count all things loss For the excellence of the knowledge of Christ Jesus, my Lord, for whom I have suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish that I may gain Christ. His accomplishments, he said, rubbish. In some versions of the Bible, dung. Without Christ, he said, all of his goodness was not worth mentioning. And here is where Paul states his great desire. Verse nine, and be found in him. Not having my own righteousness, which is from the law, but that which is through faith in Christ, the righteousness, which is from God by faith. Now, this is transformational. You want to go to heaven? This is where the rubber meets the road. This is where a life changes. Paul says, I don't want my own righteousness, which is all I can get by myself. And by my obedience, he says, I want the righteousness I get through faith in Christ, the righteousness of God, which I get by faith. Now, let's think about that, because that's some remarkable righteousness. Paul says you may receive the righteousness of God. That is astonishing. Imagine being filled with that righteousness. Imagine being covered by that righteousness. The fact is, it's the only righteousness you can have if you want to go to heaven. If you want everlasting life. It's the only righteousness that will qualify you for heaven. The righteousness of God. And you can have it. Easy. How? Here it is, by faith. God will give you his own righteousness. That's how the plan of salvation works. You come to God through faith in Jesus. When God takes away your sin, he gives you his righteousness. And you receive it by faith, by believing, trusting. And what then? This is Philippians 3, starting in verse 10. Paul said, that I may know him and the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of his sufferings, being conformed to his death, if by any means I may attain to the resurrection from the dead. If I want to attain to the resurrection, Paul said, if I want to wake up when Jesus comes back, then I need this righteousness and not my own. So where do you think that leaves What's wrong with? Where does that leave? Well, John, everybody's doing it. Where does that leave? I don't see the problem with whatever. That just disappears. Because now you're saying, I want to simply surrender my life to Jesus. And what's the alternative? You see, someone's going to occupy the throne of your heart. It'll be either you or Jesus. And if it's you, well, you know who it really is. Now, one thing that you cannot afford to factor out of this is growth. You see, people will see flaws in their Christian experience and far too often conclude that the presence of imperfections, the presence of mistakes means that they're not really Christians. Now, more than likely, that's not the case. It may just be that you are growing. Let yourself grow. Yes, you might be a little impatient with your spiritual growth. That might not be all bad, but you have to grow. You want to be the finished product overnight, but you have to grow. Have you seen a redwood tree or a cowrie tree or some great big tree reaching up into the sky? They start off little, but before long, they're less little. It may take a while, but they grow into the full thing. Growth. You got real battles to fight? Absolutely. As you learn to surrender your bad temper to God, as you learn to surrender your lust to God, as you learn to surrender your impatience, your gossip, your drinking alcohol to God. So look at what Paul said. Same author when he wrote to the church at Rome. Romans 6 verse 11. Likewise, Reckon ye also yourselves to be dead indeed unto sin, but alive unto God through Jesus Christ our Lord. Dead to sin, alive to God through Jesus. Then verse 16. Know ye not that to whom you yield yourselves servants to obey, his servants ye are to whom ye obey, whether of sin unto death or of obedience unto righteousness. And this is what people miss. You want to go to heaven, but you look at yourself and all your sinful behavior and your flaws and your faults. Some people say, I can carry on sinning with impunity until Jesus comes back. But I got saved once, so that's okay. Well, I got news for you. This is deep theology. Of course not. But what's just as damaging is when people say, I've got to get myself ready for heaven. I've got to get myself ready for heaven. I've got to get rid of this sin, so i got to try harder and pray more and fast more, and praying and fasting is good, no doubt. But it isn't through praying more that you're going to get prepared for heaven. It's through prayer and surrendering your life to Jesus. Someone cuts you off in traffic, you want to yell, you need to yield. Someone backs into your car in the parking lot, you want to yell, you need to Yield. God will take your vocal cords and make them a channel of blessing instead of cursing. You see something on a web page and you are tempted to click. But instead of following that impulse, yield, send up a prayer to God like Peter did. Lord, save me. I feel myself sinking. Save me. And God does. Remember this. First Corinthians 10, 13. No temptation has overtaken you except such as is common to man. But God is faithful, who will not allow you to be tempted beyond what you are able. But with the temptation will also make the way of escape that you may be able to bear it. You feel the compulsion to drink alcohol, and you know it's not God's will. It's not God's will for you to damage your mind, cloud your thinking, drink something that's cancer-causing. Not God's will. Lose control. Drive drunk. Act a fool. But when you're staring at that bottle, you pray to God, You yield. Lord, your will, not my will. You surrender. That's what you do. God takes your heart. He'll put that impulse in you. Yield to that impulse. He will change your impulses. He will give you grace. God puts heaven's power into your heart. Jesus doesn't just place his righteousness over you. He brings his righteousness into you. And you grow. You failed. Don't give up. You're growing. You blew it again. God is merciful. Haven't you read that? You don't think you could go a day without smoking. Okay, then go a minute leaning on Jesus and keep leaning on him and go another minute. You can't go five minutes without some bad thoughts getting in your head. Of course you can't. But let me ask you, can Jesus do it in you? Yes. you got something to thank God for. Heaven isn't for good people. It's for holy people. Jesus will enter your life. He will give you his holiness, grow you more and more and more as you approach the gates of pearl. Jesus talked about the work of grace in your life as being like a seed that grows. First, the blade, then the ear, then the full corn. Breathe the atmosphere of heaven when you pray. Receive the spirit in your life. Yield and grow. Believe God gives you his righteousness because he does. As we talk about heaven, I want to point out something. The Bible uses the word heaven in about three different ways. The Bible talks about the birds that fly in the heavens, the air. Now, that's the heavens. God told Abraham he would multiply his descendants as the stars of the heavens. So out there in space where the stars are, that's heaven too. And Jesus said, let your light so shine before men and talked about your father, which is in heaven. God's house, heaven. So you've got heavens where the birds fly, heaven where the stars are, and heaven where God is. The heaven we want to go to is a physical place, a real place, God's house. We go there when Jesus returns to take us. First Thessalonians 4, for the Lord Himself shall descend from heaven with a shout, with the voice of the archangel, and with the trump of God, and the dead in Christ shall rise first. Then we who are alive and remain shall be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. And so shall we ever be with the Lord. Paul says the same thing to the Corinthians. We will not all sleep, but we will be changed when at the last trumpet for the trumpet will sound, the dead will be raised, we'll be changed. He went on to talk about this change that's going to take place when this mortal puts on immortality. He says, we'll say this or the, the saying will come to pass. Death is swallowed up in victory. Oh, death, he said, where is your sting? Oh, Hades, where is your victory? Imagine the reunions are going to take place in heaven. Imagine being reunited with your parents in heaven. Imagine seeing friends, children, babies. Oh, come on now. Can you imagine the reunions that will take place? In this earth, we farewell our loved ones. It was never meant to be this way. Death is an intruder. You go to a cemetery with a little marker marking a baby's grave parents are going to see that child again. The grandparents who died, you hardly knew them, you see them again. Life doesn't end here in this world. If you have Jesus, there's an eternity stretching before us, a heaven to enjoy. What a reunion. Bible says the dead will rise up. Thank God for that. Paul wrote in 1 Corinthians 2, but as it is written, I has not seen nor ear heard nor have entered into the heart of man. The things which God has prepared for those who love him. Borrowed from Isaiah chapter 64 when he wrote that. Imagine what it will be like. It'll be better than that. Your wildest dreams, better than that. Most incredible place, better than that. It's as good as it gets. You won't be bored. You won't wish you were somewhere else. You won't be dissatisfied. It'll be created for your benefit, your blessing, your joy. Try, but you can't imagine how good it'll be. Better than the best vacation. Better than your dream home. Better than anything you've seen. And John saw it. Revelation 4 verse 1. After this I looked and behold a door was opened in heaven. Immediately I was in the spirit. Behold a throne was set in heaven. One sat on the throne. He saw God's throne. He saw God himself. So did Daniel. In Daniel 7. Daniel wrote about how he saw God the father. The ancient of days. Described God's clothing and his hair and his throne, a fiery flame. He talked about the wheels of the throne. He saw multitudes of angels in this place that was heaven. Revelation 11 says the temple of God was opened in heaven. There was seen in his temple the ark of his testament, which means the Ten Commandments were there. They're in the ark of the covenant. So when we're thinking about this, If we were ever wondering about the validity of the Ten Commandments, we know right now they exist in heaven, in the Ark of the Covenant. They're as important now as they've ever been. Well, what's Jesus doing there? Hebrews tells us, We have such a high priest who is seated at the right hand of the throne of the majesty in the heavens, a minister of the sanctuary and of the true tabernacle which the Lord erected. Jesus is there now as a priest, as a lawyer, Jesus is there. He invites us. Come to me. You've been accused of crimes that you did commit. But Jesus is in heaven appearing for you. You friend, you're guilty. But God will pardon you and let you go free through Jesus. Amen. Heaven's focus is on this earth. Think of this vast universe. Our teeny tiny planet earth is a speck in the universe. And yet heaven is concerned with what's happening here. Jesus' focus is not only on earth, it's on you. Because the wages of sin is death, God is offering you life. You know, I have visited people on death row. I've seen the tears roll down their cheeks as they say, they don't want to die for what they've done. Thank God we don't need to die the death penalty. While the wages of sin is death, the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ, our Lord. The lawyer is at work for you in heaven. And now we can look beyond heaven. Peter wrote, nevertheless, we, according to his promise, look for new heavens and a new earth in which righteousness dwells. John said, I saw the holy city coming down, new Jerusalem, coming down from God out of heaven, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. Now, when you read the book of Zechariah, it says it makes clear Jesus will come down. His feet will touch the earth. The Mount of Olives will be like a plain. And the new Jerusalem is going to sit there, right there where the Mount of Olives was. The earth will be made new and God will relocate his capital city to the scene of heaven's greatest triumph. God sees you as being as valuable as the life of Jesus. And that Jesus is coming back one day to take you to be with God. You want to go to heaven? i got news for you. God wants you to go more than you want to go. He showed me a pure river of water of life, clear as crystal, proceeding from the throne of God and of the Lamb. In the middle of its street and on either side of the river was the tree of life. I heard a great voice out of heaven saying, Behold, the tabernacle of God is with men and he will dwell with them and they shall be his people. God himself shall be with them and be their God. This earth struggles with tragedy and loss. We deal with diseases which we can't find a cure. Right now, planet Earth is wrestling with We don't know what this is going to look like tomorrow. We're hopeful. The Bible says in heaven, the inhabitants shall not say, I am sick. One day you're going to be able to throw away your medication because Jesus is coming back to a place where everyone is healthy. And God shall wipe away all tears from their eyes. And there shall be no more death, neither sorrow nor crying. Neither shall there be any pain. For the former things are passed away. This earth represents Satan's best effort. Satan's final shot. But one day there'll be no more devil and no more sin. Revelation 22, 5. There'll be no night there. No night. They need no lamp nor light of the sun. For the Lord God gives them light. And they shall reign forever and ever. The glory of the Father and of the Son illuminate the earth made new. We're going to build houses and inhabit them in the earth made new. We'll plant vineyards and eat their fruit in the earth made new. The Bible says the new earth is going to be so wonderful that the wolf also shall dwell with the lamb and the leopard shall lie down with the kid and the calf and the young lion and the fatling together and a little child shall lead him. Isn't that a beautiful picture? Three verses later, Isaiah wrote, they shall not hurt nor destroy in all my holy mountain. For the earth shall be full of the knowledge of the Lord as the waters cover the sea. Imagine, oh friend, you can have it. You can be there. You can dwell in this place where the streets are made of gold, where the flowers never fade. How? I'm going to tell you again. For by grace, you've been saved through faith. And that not of yourselves. It's the gift of God. God offers you eternity, heaven. He says, you can have it by faith. Grace forgives you and cleanses you. You can have it by faith. I've told this story a hundred times. If you've ever heard me tell a story, then you're blessed. You're going to hear it again. I, I was a local church pastor, just loved it so much. Had a fantastic church. Dear lady was coming out of church. I shook her hand. That was back in the days when you could do that. I said, God bless your sister. Jesus is coming back soon. And she looked up as she was holding my hand and she said, Pastor, I hope I'll be ready. I gave her my most serious pastor look, the most serious one I could muster up. And she said, have I said something wrong? And I said, yes. I said to the next person in line, wait, don't move. I've got to deal with some business here. We stepped out of line and I said, "Um, what did you say? She said, am I in trouble? I said, you might be. Did you say that you hope to be ready when Jesus comes back? Oh, yes. Shouldn't I? I said, no you shouldn't hope to be ready when Jesus comes back. Well, now she didn't quite know what to think. And I said, you should believe that you'll be ready when Jesus comes back. I said, have you accepted Jesus as your Lord and Savior? Yes. Have you repented of your sins? She said, yes. I said, do you love God? Yes. You've accepted Jesus. Sure. Have you changed your mind? She said, no. I said, neither has he. Don't hope anymore. You believe. Know that when Jesus comes back, your feet will leave the ground. Know that when Jesus comes back, he will call you up. Know that in heaven tonight, there is a mansion and there is a beautiful nameplate on a door with your name written on it. Don't hope. Or oh, friend, you got to believe. If you've accepted Jesus as your Lord and Savior, don't wonder, will I ever be in heaven? Thank God. Thank you, Lord, that I'll be in heaven. I'm not hoping. I'm believing. Revelation twenty-two fourteen, Blessed are they that do his commandments that they may have right to the tree of life and may enter in through the gates into the city. We are going to that land. We got to go together. A few decades back, a Soviet cosmonaut traveled up into space. She said, I flew up here into the heavens and I did not see God. Well, one day we are going up through the heavens and we're going to see Jesus and we are going to say, I am in my father's house. You know, the Egyptians, when they buried their pharaohs in the pyramids, they prepared them for the afterlife. They believed where they were going, they were going to go on living. When they found King Tut's tomb, they found flowers and chairs and all manner of things. It was thought he would need that in the afterlife. Let me tell you something for nothing. Where we are going, we'll need none of that. And I say, thank God, we go to our father's house up there. We'll spend time in heaven above. We'll be brought down here to the new earth with the redeemed throughout eternity's ceaseless ages. Jesus is coming back soon. And there's a place for you right now in your father's heart, right now. There's a place for you in heaven right now. In my father's house, there are many mansions. Claim yours right now. Heaven is for real. After heaven, we come back to the earth made new. Hard to imagine how wonderful it'll be. Reality, not a myth. A real place you want to be there. I want to see you there. You want to be there? You want to go? It's a matter of faith. God bought your ticket. Jesus died on the cross so that you might be there with him. Now, faith in Jesus lays hold on the precious gift. You say, that gift is mine. I believe it. Jesus coming into my heart. He changed your life. We're looking up by faith now, not wondering, not trembling. We have certainty. Jesus is coming back for you soon. If you're willing to go, we'll all go one day together. What a day. A couple of years ago, I was in Guatemala. We traveled to a place where a volcano had just erupted and killed hundreds of people. Hundreds, maybe thousands. I met Rosa. Rosa was a volunteer whose role was to warn people to flee from volcanic activity. She told me with tears streaming down her face that in house after house, people said, all we're going to do is lock the doors, Wait the volcano out. So many people died who knew that the volcano was erupting and that danger was headed their way. They died simply because they didn't move when they had the opportunity. Friend, right now is that time. The end of the world is coming. What's taking place all around us shows us prophecy is fulfilling. Where are you standing? are you willing to move? Rosa wept. She appealed to people. She would go to house after house. You've got to go. You can see the smoke. They say it's going to go. You've got to run. Come to safety. Everyone could have been saved. If only they'd moved. Jesus says, I'm coming back soon. Would you run to safety? i tell you where safety is. It's in the heart of Jesus. It's in looking towards heaven and saying, I accept Jesus as my Lord and Savior. I've got to give you the opportunity to tell God you're serious. You want to go to heaven. Wow, what a hope for those who put their
1: trust in Jesus. That was just absolutely amazing. You know, I thank God for this book. It's just so rock solid with practical living, hope for the future and how to have eternity. Now, John wants to give you the opportunity tonight to make a decision To spend eternity with Jesus. Now, we want to get a decision card again into your hands tonight, and we're going to do that by our mobile phone. So get out your phone, and here's what I want you to do take your phone and text tonight's code word Jesus. If you're in Australia, text Jesus to 0428 833 386. If you're in New Zealand, text Jesus to 875. Again, If you're in Australia, text JESUS to 0428 833 386. Or if you're in New Zealand, text JESUS to 875. Now, you're going to get a link from us which will take you to a decision card on your phone where it's going to ask you for some details on just how we can connect with you to help you. But at the bottom of the card, you'll find two questions which I want to take you through right now. Make your response just by ticking the boxes that you see below. Number 1. I want to follow Jesus and give my life to him in baptism. Check number 1 if that's your decision. You will never be as happy as when you follow Jesus and walk with him, accept him by faith, baptism of faith. Number 2. I'd like to be rebaptized. Perhaps you've wandered away and or learned significant new truth and you want to be rebaptized. Check number 2. Or if you have some questions, please enter them in the text box that's provided. And make sure you put your first and your last name and your email address and your phone number so we can help you with that decisions that you've made. And then click Submit. But let's right now, before we go back to Rebecca, pray together. Father, thank you so much for what you're preparing for those who put their trust in you. May tonight we say yes if we've not yet made that decision may right now we do that thank you for loving us guide us and lead us and bless us and keep us in jesus name amen well rebecca how can our viewers get tonight's study guides and how can they connect with this amazing uh, masterclass on secrets of the future
0: thanks gary that was a terrific program Now, as Gary has said, you don't want to miss out on being part of this masterclass, Secrets of the Future. So make sure you've enrolled. To get enrolled, go to hopechannel.com forward slash masterclass and click on Secrets of the Future from the masterclass list and follow the instructions. To get tonight's study guide, go to our website as usual, hopeawakens.com.au and click on free offer. Well, thanks for being with us tonight. Remember, our last program is tomorrow morning at 10.30am or 10am Central Australian time. Good night and we'll see you tomorrow morning for The Journey.